turn in our Bibles to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. Going to read beginning in verse 11 down through verse 15. And he, referring to the ascended Lord Jesus Christ, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. And now, Father, may you speak to us by your Spirit, through your Word, for our good and your glory, in Jesus' name, amen. Well, this is the seventh message in what is going to be a nine-part series called In Christ in the Church. Uh, those who have been here for a while will know that we are preaching our way through Ephesians, and the entire series is called simply In, but in chapters 2, 3, and part of chapter 4, the focus is on what it means to be in Christ in the church and in relationship with one another as members of a local church. And this is designed, as you know, to correspond to our membership course that around 30 of you are currently involved in. And uh, today's message is entitled, The Role and Function of Pastors which is session seven in the membership materials. And one of my first thoughts in thinking about this message, the role and function of pastors is, uh, well now, isn't this a bit awkward? <laughs> like, um, I'm a pastor here to talk to you about pastors, and as objectively and unbiased as I can without any form of serving ambition, let you know how wonderful pastors are and feed that. No, the reality is that it is awkward, yes. One of the more awkward things of pastoral ministry is talking about leadership and pastoral ministry. Uh, there is some awkwardness to it, but I'm trusting God for grace in it. And part of what diminishes the awkwardness for me is the realization that as we move forward through this teaching this morning, I am very much aware that what will be described is not a measure of what we as your pastors already are, so much as a measure of what we want to be when we grow up, when we become more of what God has called us to be. This is a, a declaration of God's intention and God's purpose for pastors in the church, and I trust it will serve and I trust it will help us all, both as a congregation in knowing how to respond to pastors and as pastors in learning how to serve. So as we, as we begin, uh, let, me, let me make sure that I clear something up right from the start, and that is that in the New Testament, when we think about pastors, there are three 
primary terms that are used for pastors. There is the term shepherd or pastor. Pastor is just a Latin form of shepherd. The term shepherd is a metaphor that, that emphasizes the tender relationship of a pastor with the members of his flock or his congregation, as well as the work and the caring role that he is to have. And then there is the word elder, an elder in the church. An elder is a term that doesn't describe the function and the role so much as it does the experience and the character of the man. He is an elder, maybe not in terms of years, but presumably in terms of maturity and and gravitas and wisdom. He is an elder in the church. And then there is the term overseer which in some context and traditions is translated bishop, and that word emphasizes his role in leadership. He is over the church to lead it and to guide it and to manage it and in some sense to rule it for the sake of Christ. So the pastor, those who are pastoring in the church, they are shepherds, they are elders, and they are overseers. So as we move into this, I want us to see from this context, you you could tell in verse 11 that, that Paul addresses the question of spiritual and pastoral leadership in the church. I want us to make sure that we see that in the context of the gospel and everything that Jesus Christ is doing. So look back to verse 7. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore it says when he ascended on high he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean? But that he also descended into the lower regions of the earth. He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, or the pastors, and teachers. Jesus Christ has ascended. Jesus Christ is Lord, and he is Lord, the text says, that he might fill all things. And this language of fullness and filling is, is, uh, happens a few times in the book of Ephesians. We see it right in verse 13 where we are told that the goal of all of this is that we would attain the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. That Christ who is full of grace and full of glory and full of power and full of majesty and full of mercy and full purity, that his fullness would fill us, that we would be filled with the fullness of Christ. We've already seen this, haven't we, back in chapter 1, beginning in verse 19, where Paul is praying that we would know what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things, that's the Father put all things under his, Jesus' feet, 
and gave him, Jesus, as head over all things to the church. That's to us. He is head over all things for us. The Father gives him as our head, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. So so when we put these texts together, we see that Jesus, having descended into the lower regions, into the, the deepest places of humiliation and suffering that anybody has ever experienced, the agonies of the cross, he has now been raised and he is exalted. The Father has raised him. The Father has enthroned him over all things that he might be head over everything for the church, and that he might fill things with his fullness. And in that exalted place, and to that exalted end, that he might fill all things, we now learn in chapter 4 and verse 11, that he gives gifts to the church. And among those gifts are apostles and prophets and evangelists and shepherds or pastors and teachers. As head of the church, the ascended victorious Christ gives his church these leadership gifts that the church needs in order to help the church grow in faith and in ability to serve each other and advance the mission that he might fill all things through the church. I don't know about you, but I, I begin to think on that and reflect on that. I'm filled with a sense of awe and wonder. You know, you know church and pastors and sheep in the church. This isn't just, well, you know... Well, who's the pastor going to be? Somebody with a gift of gab and some kind of leadership stuff going on in his life. You know, let's put him in that role. No, no, Christ has given to the church pastors and teachers. Christ, Lord of the church. Christ, who reigns over all and is, is, his design is to fill all things with himself and with his glory and grace. He has determined that his strategy in order to do that would be to give to the church leaders who would serve in such a way that the members of the church, the body of Christ, will grow and be equipped and will be strengthened so that they can carry out the ministry and the mission and he can fill all things through the church, led by the pastors of the church. This to me is, I don't know if as a parent, do you ever as a parent, do you ever have those moments where you just stop and look at your kids and, and realize, whoa, this is, this is pretty big. Yeah, yeah, yeah. God is entrusted to me as dad. This role of raising children, you get a sense of awe and wonder and privilege and terror all at once. I feel some of that as I think on these things. This is how God has ordained it for the church. That there is this great mission to accomplish, and this mission is to be accomplished. Pastors are given to the church to equip the church to accomplish the work, to fill all things with the fullness of Christ. There's the context. We're we're looking at something cosmic here, folks. We're looking at something big here. 
something wonderful. This is, this is the strategy and plan of Almighty God through His Son, Jesus Christ. Now, let's try to get our heads around this a little bit. Let me, let me uh, start with a bit of a summary, and then I'm going to just quickly give you several functions of a pastor of a shepherd in the church. But before I give you those functions, I want to just give you a summary statement to kind of tie together a number of loose ends that have to that connect to that are related to the, the question of pastoral ministry. So here's here's my summary statement. It's a bit of a mouthful, but I'll repeat it for you. Biblical pastors, we're going to define what's a biblical pastor. Biblical pastors are men given by Christ to serve. Biblical pastors are men given by Christ to serve with other men in shepherding the flock of Christ, among whom they too are numbered. Biblical pastors are men given by Christ to serve with other men in shepherding the flock of Christ, among whom they too are numbered. That's a mouthful. Let me break it down quickly. Biblical pastors are men. For yes, the Bible does state very clearly, very explicitly that pastors are to be men and that while while women are equal before God and gifted to do very many things, some far better than men do, for reasons that are known fully only to God, Women are not to teach or have authority over men in the church. So says Paul in 1 Timothy chapter 2. Elders are meant to be men. Biblical pastors are men given by Christ. That's what the text says. And he gave. He gave some to be apostles and prophets and evangelists and shepherds and teachers. Jesus gives such men to the church. And if he gives them to the church, then he is going to qualify them for the work that they are called to do. Qualifications are in 1 Timothy 3 and Titus chapter 1. There are specific objective qualifications for a man who would be a pastor. He who gives the gifts will surely qualify the man for the gifts. And then biblical pastors are men given by Christ to serve with other men. In the Bible, there's no such thing as a lone ranger pastor. There's no such thing as a single pastor, unless it's a brand new church just getting started, and and obviously you've got to start somewhere. But the goal and the aim of every church should be be to have plurality in leadership. In this context, he's a pastor who serves alongside of apostles, prophets, evangelists, and teachers. Elsewhere in the New Testament, we find out that the elders of the churches always work together in teams. There was always more than one elder in each church. That is God's design, that pastors not work alone, that these are men given by Christ to serve with other men. Here at Risen Hope, currently our eldership involves the elders at Covenant Fellowship Church, our sending church, but here on site... Andy Farmer and myself, and we are actively and aggressively equipping and seeking and pursuing others to fill that in. Recently, somebody asked me why, when I introduce myself, I usually say, hi, I'm Tim Shorey. I'm one of the pastors here. 
the brother asked me, why don't you say I'm the senior pastor here or I'm, I'm the lead pastor here? Well, I am the lead pastor here, but that doesn't make me anything more than just another one of the elders with a different job description. It is truly a team. We are leading together side by side. Biblical pastors are men given by Christ to serve with other men in shepherding the flock of God. For that's what the word pastor means. Shepherding the flock of Christ. It is, it is the flock bought by and belonging to Jesus, purchased with his blood that pastors are called to serve. Biblical pastors are men given by Christ to serve with other men in shepherding the flock of Christ, among whom they too are numbered. For before I am a shepherd, I am a sheep. I have way more in common with you than there is different. We are all sinners. We are all sheep who were once wandering and lost that the great shepherd sought and found. We were all broken and battered and beaten and harassed by our own sin and by the brokenness of this world. And the great and the good shepherd came and he sought and he found. And the good shepherd gave his life to the sheep. He who was the shepherd became a sheep, a lamb, is the great mystery of the gospel in our faith. I'm a sheep who in some measure has become a shepherd. He is the shepherd who became a sheep. He is the shepherd who became a lamb offered, sacrificed for our sins. And we're all in that together, folks. A pastor is in no way higher or better or more privileged or have a higher position than other sheep in the flock. We are all numbered in this together. We each just have different roles and different callings in the work of the gospel. And so, biblical pastors are men given by Christ to serve with other men in shepherding the flock of Christ, among whom they too are numbered. So now, with that in mind, let's, let's move on and think about the role and the function of a biblical shepherd. And I wish it would be a pleasure, it would be a delight if we could take a few weeks here and just think about the shepherd uh, theme and motif that's in the Bible. It is a beautiful thing. Sometimes I think God just created sheep just so he could Give us this metaphor. Give us this picture. Um, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though, though I, though we, walk through the valley of the shadow of death as we are now walking, we will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. My cup runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me. The Hebrew means it will chase me. 
It will pursue me all the days of my life. And I'll dwell in the house of the Lord forever. The Lord is our shepherd. I am the good shepherd. And the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He will tend his flock like the shepherd. Gently in his arms. This theme of shepherd is one that we have to kind of work at given that we don't live around many sheep. For the first century believers that Paul was writing to, when he described shepherds, it immediately came to mind what that was all about. For they had all seen flocks of sheep out in the fields with shepherds. And there would have been an immediate sense of, of this image of the love and the care and the affection and the courage and the danger and the difficulty of a shepherd's work and yet the tenderness of the relationship with the sheep. Well, for them, that would have been a natural, easy connection to make. I think we may have to work a little harder at it. So let me, let me describe for you what I believe will be six, six roles of the shepherd, of the pastor within the church. And I'm going to combine these with what is to be the response of the sheep to those roles. So we'll learn both at the same time. Number one, a biblical shepherd serves with love while the flock honors with love. A biblical shepherd serves with love while the flock honors with love. The reality is that we are all to serve with love, right? Look at, look at chapter 5 and verse 1. Chapter 5 and verse 1, Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. There is the standard of love to which all of us are called. Walk in love, live in love. What kind of love, Paul? Well, the kind of love that Christ had for us. Well, what did that love do, Paul? That love gave himself up for us. Love, biblically defined, is giving, self-denying, self-renouncing, self-crucifying, other-centered, other-focused, other-serving life. Love, Paul says to all of us, love as Christ has loved you. But for those that are in leadership roles, the call to this is even more intensified. So we have down in chapter 5, verses 24 and 25. In verse 24, it says that as the church submits to Christ, so wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives. How? As Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Folks, you think verse 24 is hard. Submit wives to your husbands. I would suggest to you verse 25 is harder. Because verse 25 calls on us on husbands to so love our wives as we lead our wives. To so love our wives that we lay down our life. That every day of our life is self-denial, self-death. That we wake up in the morning, husbands, thinking, how do I die to myself for the good of my wife? 
How do I put her first? How do I serve her? How do I love her? How do I die for her sake? And if that's true of husbands, it's true of pastors. Anyone in leadership is called to serve with love. You remember what Jesus said in the Gospels, for example, in Mark 10. Jesus called them to him and said to them, you know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them, but it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus is here talking to future pastors. And he's saying, this is what I'm calling you to. Pastoring is not a profession. It's not a career. It's not a job. It's not a preaching or power platform. Power, uh, pastoring is simply sacrifice out of love for others. It's giving itself. It's being a slave to others, a bondservant to others, not in a martyr kind of thing, but in a very deep sense. A pastor must be a man who is aware that he serves. It is not about prestige or popularity or power. It is about service and self-denial and sacrifice. The pastor serves in love while the flock honors with love. Hebrews 13 and verse 7, remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God, consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. 1 Thessalonians 5, we ask you brothers to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. I was thinking about this this week. I'm not sure there's a day of a week that goes by when at least one, when there's not at least one time when I thank God for the this congregation gives to its pastors. I don't have to teach you to do this. By God's grace, you already are. You already are. Thank you for that. And may it be that as we go on serving with love and you go on honoring with love, that together we will walk forward in effectiveness for the glory of God. Secondly, a biblical shepherd feeds with truth while the flock hungers for truth. A biblical shepherd feeds with truth while the flock hungers for truth. Feeding is one of the primary tasks of a shepherd. A shepherd is there to nourish, to feed the sheep. In fact, here in Ephesians 4, we see that the role of a shepherd seems to be closely connected to that of teachers, the shepherds and teachers. A shepherd, a pastor, is a teacher. He feeds the flock of God with the truth of God. He teaches God's word. What is the food that God's people need? What is the food that the sheep need? It is the, it's the Bible and the Bible and the Bible and more of the Bible. It is God's truth, God's word taught and applied to God's people. 
That's the task of a pastor, to be a preacher and a teacher of God's word. And, and if the pastor's task is to feed the flock with truth, then the sheep should hunger for that truth and come week after week, opportunity after opportunity, hungering for the word of God. Give us more of the truth that we might be nourished, that we might be strengthened by it. We should all be the Bereans of Acts 17, who I think I referred to recently, Acts 17, 11, these Jews in Berea were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the word with all readiness and examined the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. Many of them therefore believed. That should, let's all be noble Christians. Let's all be who in the sight of God are worthy. Why? Because we hunger for the word of God. We are eager to receive God's truth. Let's be a listening, a learning congregation. Let's be a congregation that comes to the pasture of God's word time and again, starving for more, longing for more. And let us be those who not only listen and learn, but live what we hear. James is writing about hearing and responding to preaching in James chapter 1 when he says, know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls and be doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving yourselves. James is talking there about preaching and the hearing of preaching. He's saying being eager for it, be quick to hear, receive it with meekness and then make sure to do it. Make sure to do it. A biblical shepherd feeds with truth while the flock hungers for truth. Third, a biblical shepherd protects his flock while the flock heeds his warnings. A biblical shepherd protects the flock while his flock heeds his warnings. Shepherds need to protect the sheep. There is danger out there and in here. There is the danger of error. There is the danger of falsehood. There is the danger of false teaching. But there's also the danger of inner temptation and fear and, and guilt and shame and anger and lust and all those things that attack from within. The shepherd's task is to guard and to protect the sheep. That's why Paul wrote in Acts chapter 20, Pay careful attention to yourselves. Paul is talking here to elders. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God which he obtained with his own blood. I know, Paul writes, that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things Draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert, remembering that for years, three years, I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. If it ever feels like your pastors are a little bit protective, 
If it ever feels like there are times when maybe we, we're kind of wiggling our way into a situation to guard what people are reading or people are hearing or people are teaching, please know it's not because we are control freaks. Please know it's not because we enjoy that. One of the least enjoyable parts of being a pastor, warning the sheep about false teaching and the lies. So when we hear about churches or pastors that are preaching another gospel, when we hear about churches or pastors that are denying that Jesus is God or are offering a prosperity, health and wealth gospel, when we hear about pastors and ministries that say, well, you don't really need to worry about holiness or obedience. Or we hear pastors and ministries saying there is no hell to fear or no need for the cross. Our task as pastors is to sound the alarm and sometimes to name names in the process. Not because we are controlling but because one day we're going to answer to God for the protection of our sheep. Which is why the flock needs to heed a pastor's warnings. Hebrews 13 and verse 17, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. I wasn't kidding what I said a minute ago. We will have to give an account. Them, the pastors, do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. A biblical shepherd protects his flock while the flock heeds his warnings. Fourth, a biblical shepherd rescues and restores wandering sheep while wandering sheep need to repent and return. Biblical pastors rescue and restore wandering sheep while wandering sheep need to repent and return. What's a shepherd to do when a sheep goes off the path? What, what's a shepherd to do when sheep give in to that tendency to lose their way and they wander off into error, they wander off into sin, or they wander away from the church, or they wander into patterns of life that are, that are unhealthy and unholy. What is a shepherd to do? James chapter 5 is talking to elders primarily, and James writes, My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save, will rescue his soul from death, and will cover a multitude of sins. This task is not just for pastors. We all have the responsibility to see and seek out those who are wandering, those who are drifting. We all need to go after them. We all need to find them. We all need to seek to restore them. But if all of us are to do it, surely pastors are to lead the way in doing it. It is our task to rescue and restore wanderers. Sometimes it involves reproof and rebuke and correction. Sometimes it's a firm word. Sometimes it's admonishment. 
Sometimes it involves consequences if people don't repent. This is called church discipline, where someone who is a member of the church refuses to repent and in love for the sake of restoration. We say to that person, if you continue in this pattern of life, Jesus commands us that we need to treat you like you're a tax gatherer or sinner. That means we have to treat you like you're not a believer anymore. No longer fellowshipping as a brother or sister in Christ. Why do we do that? Because we're mean or vindictive. No, the very opposite. So that we might win our brother and restore the wanderer. If you are thinking of joining Risen Hope, we need to ask you to make sure to read in the back of the membership materials. There's an appendix there about church discipline and our approach to it and our commitment to it. Because we love the sheep. And we know that a sheep who wanders from God's truth and God's will will wander off a cliff somewhere and will perish broken and battered by the sin that they have chosen. And so we must collectively as the church rescue and restore wandering sheep And if that is so, then wandering sheep need to repent and return. Respond to the efforts of the body of Christ and the leaders of the church. And not disregard those efforts, but to be grateful for them. I am grateful that I'm one of the sheep. And what that means is that I am submitted to the same kind of accountability that you are. I have other pastors in my life who watch over me and they hold me accountable. And if I wander, they rebuke and they correct. We all need it. We all need it. Fifth, is it fifth? A biblical shepherd leads gently while the flock follows willingly. A biblical shepherd leads gently while the flock follows willingly. Willingly. Leading is what shepherds do, right? In fact, in the Old Testament, the idea of a shepherd ruler is connected very tight. A shepherd is one who leads. He's one who rules. He doesn't rule domineeringly. He doesn't rule dictatorially. But he leads the flock. He leads the church. Isaiah 40, he shall tend his flock like a shepherd and gently lead those who are with young pastors, are overseers. They are managers of the household of God. They are called to, in Paul's words, rule well in the church. So as a church, we are, we are not a democracy. Uh, we don't have congregational votes to make decisions in the church because the Bible teaches that elders are to lead the church. We include the congregation. We seek the wisdom and the input and the insight because we believe in the priesthood of all believers. Every believer has the Holy Spirit of God in him or her. Every believer has wisdom. Every believer has discernment. Every believer has insight. And that is to be heard and valued and appreciated and cultivated and factored into decisions that pastors make. But at the end of the day, A pastor, a shepherd is called to lead, and to lead well, and to lead humbly 
This one's a little scary, isn't it? Because we've probably all had bad experiences with pastors or with leaders who don't lead well. I think that's why Peter had to say to elders to shepherd the flock of God but not be domineering. There's a temptation here. And you might be wondering, well, what happens, Tim, if, if you get out of line in your leadership? What happens if you start domineering? What happens if you start lording it over us? What happens if you start wielding a kind of authority that goes beyond God's word, that is no longer serving in love? Well, first thing you have in mind is there are other pastors to kick me back into line. All right. But secondly, and we just want you to be aware of this, as a sovereign grace church, members of a congregation have recourse if they believe that their pastor or pastors are wielding their authority in an ungodly or in a sinful way, you have the freedom to approach sovereign grace with that and to bring a charge of, 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 of what's the word I'm looking for? Not neglect of authority, but abuse of authority. You have, you have the recourse to go to Sovereign Grace and say, our pastors, we believe, are guilty of these things. And we, we want to hold them accountable for that. You have recourse. It's one of the reasons why we love being a part of a family of churches. Because there's accountability. And you are protected from the abuse and the mistreatment of pastors in this way. I wanted to make sure you knew that. You may not have known that. Keep it in mind. Hope you won't need it anytime soon. <laughs> Shepherds are called to lead gently while the flock is called to follow willingly. Obey your leaders, Hebrews says, and submit to those who are over you. And finally, a biblical shepherd equips for the mission while the flock serves the mission. A biblical shepherd equips for the mission while the flock serves the mission. That's what chapter 4, 11, and 12 are most emphatically about. He gave some to be apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God and the mature stature of the fullness of Christ. Pastors equip the saints. Saints do the work of ministry and Christ fills us up with his glory, fills us up with his grace. Alex is going to preach about that more next week in terms of your role in ministry. But this is what biblical shepherds do. They equip for mission while the flock serves the mission. And in fact, there are many ways that we seek to equip and train. Many ways. In fact, just about everything we do is designed not only to feed and nourish God's people, but to equip them and prepare them for life and ministry to other people. This has many forms, many dimensions to it, but we would assure you we take that seriously and hope that God gives us grace to do it well. So what does all this say to us? Well, it reminds us why it's important that you join a church. 
Because you need to have pastors who know that they are responsible for you. That all these things that we've talked about, there's, there's, there's a man, there are men who are caring for you in that way. This also says to us, if you haven't joined here or another church, choose carefully. Because in choosing a church, you are choosing the pastors. Their leadership, their character, their lives, choose carefully. And then pray hard for your pastors. Because we realize we have not achieved this. This is what we want to be when we grow up. But pray that God will give us grace to grow more and more into these things. And let's consider this as the ushers, if they would begin to prepare for communion, as they would be ready to distribute the bread and the cup. let's, Let's always keep in mind that while there are human shepherds in the church, there is a divine shepherd over the church. The chief shepherd, the great shepherd, the good shepherd, our Lord Jesus Christ. And and let us remember, as I said earlier, let us remember that he who is the shepherd became a sheep, a lamb, the lamb of God to take away the sins of the world. Oh, I pray that as one another and as sheep look at shepherds in the church and see the faults and see the failures and see the incompetency and the inadequacy, that each sheep would be able to look above the head of the human shepherd and see that one who is all competent, all adequate, whose love is perfect, whose grace is perfect, as the, the, the ushers come and distribute the bread and cup, may it be that in this communion before the Lord, a sacred moment, those who are blood-bought sinners, if, if you are a believer here this morning, this is for you. If, if you're not a believer and you're, you're not there yet in your journey of faith, that's okay. Uh, we've, we're all on a journey of faith. Um, but if you're not a believer, please don't partake. Just, just observe and and think and ponder. If you are a believer, this is for you. We encourage you in the next few moments of quietness to just reflect upon such a great shepherd as we have. Thank him for being the good shepherd. Praise him for giving his life for you.